Alrighty, if you've got your Bibles open, keep them open. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look at the Word together. Father God, thank you so much for your Word. Thank you that you speak to us today, uh, that it's not just me, that as we've read your Word, we've heard the very words of God themselves. And so speak into our lives, wherever each of these individuals are up to today, speak into their lives, speak into my life. As we sit under your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you come to church and the minister says to you, Jesus has saved us. It's the best news in the world. Go and tell everyone. All right? And so you're pumped. And you go out into the world and you go to work or you go to uni or you go to school on Monday lunchtime. And someone says to you, so what did you do on the weekend? And you think, here's my chance. Here's my chance. And you say, I went to the movies. Or I went to sport. I went, oh, you, you fluff it. You, you completely blow it. All right? We do it, don't we? We do it a bunch of times. We've got this opportunity, we blow it. And we think, oh man, why did I blow it? But sometimes they say, What'd you do on the weekend? We say, I went to church. I went to church. And as soon as we say the word church, it's almost like we, 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 we shoot the conversation. It just shuts down. And the, and the person just says, well, um, I, well uh, I went to the movies. Or, or, or the person says, actually, I'm not very religious, so please don't talk to me about religion. Or they say, uh, you're not one of those people who hate gay people, are you? Or they just change the topic. Yeah. And, and what seems so possible on the Sunday, when you, you know, you're pumped up, you know, Jesus is great, Jesus is great, you say the world, it's really, really hard on a Monday. And so what inevitably happens is you go back on the next Sunday and the preacher talks again, you know, Jesus is great, Jesus is great, he's come to save us, go in the world, tell Jesus, and you end up there on Monday again at the lunch table. And it's still hard. And after a while of doing these cycles of going round and round and round like Groundhog Day, you can become a little bit cynical. That's what I've experienced, that's what I've seen, a bit of cynicism about what's the use People are not interested in Jesus. People aren't into religion anymore. People don't even care about truth anymore. And, and what's, what, what's, what does it matter anyway? I'm rubbish at explaining the gospel, so why would I even bother? And so we just give up. We just give up. Uh, maybe that's you this morning. <laughs> You've just kind of given up. You've been through these cycles again and again and again, but you've just given up. And now this morning you've come again <laughs> to hear another talk from another preacher talk about how Jesus is great, you should go out in the world to tell him. And you're thinking, oh yeah, all right, I've been here, done that. You're thinking, how is that going to make a difference? And I'll, be, I'll level with you, I'll be honest with you. If this morning it was up to me and my incredible charisma or my incredible motivational power to get you to go out and do it, then we would be in trouble. But the reality is today, God is speaking to us. And the passage that we have just read gives hope that our Monday lunches can be different. That our Monday lunches can be different. Last week, if you weren't with us, we, can, uh, we continued on a new series in the book of Acts. Uh, Acts is the sequel, we said, to the Gospel of Luke, the account of Jesus' life, death and resurrection written by Luke, the historian doctor. 
Uh, Acts chapter 1 picks it up 40 days after the end of Luke. And it starts with Jesus leaving to go up to heaven in front of the disciples and him telling them to wait until the Holy Spirit would come to empower them in their witness. Acts chapter 2, we saw last week, the Holy Spirit comes. Remember the Jiffy Firelighters, all right? It comes at Pentecost. The disciples have given this miraculous ability to speak in different languages, languages they'd never learned before. And so Peter gives the next speech to explain it. He says, what you're seeing here is the Holy Spirit coming down, which is a sign that Jesus is now the ascended king and that you should now turn and trust in him as your saviour. And on that day, the, the Holy Spirit enabled 3,000 people to become followers of Jesus, to turn and trust Jesus. And so end of chapter 2, they become this new community. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. They have meals together. They share their their possessions together. And so by the end of chapter 2, this Jesus movement, it's exploding. It's like church on a Sunday. You know, church on a Sunday, you feel pumped. Jesus is great. Jesus saved the world. It's like church on a Sunday then, Acts chapter 2. And that flows on to chapter 3. And so what we see in the beginning of chapter 3 is this powerful work. Okay, so a man who can't walk, he's lame from birth, unable to walk from birth. He's sitting outside the entrance to the temple. The reason he can't go in is because he's a lame man. He's not allowed in there as a lame man into the temple. So he he can't worship with God's people. He's He's outside asking people who are going in for money. Peter and James come to come to pray in the temple Verse 4, and Peter directed his gaze, that's the man's gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately he felt his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I don't know what that's for. Is that a song? Yeah, I sang it this morning, naturally, and I didn't know where it came from. Walking and leaping. Anyway, Peter says, what is Peter? Peter says, I don't have money. This guy's outside the temple. He's looking for money. He says, I don't have money, but I'll give you something better than that. Saying in the name of Jesus, that is on, in, based on the authority of Jesus, on behalf of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And so he takes the man's hand, and, and it's not like he, he gets, you know, he hasn't been able to walk. So you imagine he's, he's, all his muscles in his legs were completely atrophied. They wouldn't be able to function at all. He'd never walked in his life. And then all of a sudden, he's standing up, not just standing up, he's leaping and praising God. Now, if I, I don't want to embarrass anyone, but if I ask you to put up your hand, ask me how people would leap right now, I reckon there'd be a few hands, all right? We struggle. We struggle to leap, all right? This guy has not been able to walk from birth. His legs had completely wasted away, and yet God does this miracle to restore his leg so he's able to leap in a moment. And so what happens? The disciples there, they're filled with, uh, sorry, all the crowd, they're filled with wonder and amazement at what the disciples have been able to do, this powerful work of healing. And then just like in Acts chapter 2, where you had this incredible miracle with languages and then this speech so you have it in Acts chapter 3 you have a miracle then a speech it's this powerful secondly a powerful word verse 12 and when Peter saw it he addressed the people that is he saw the people impressed by the miracle men of Israel why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk 
He wants to get them to get it really clear. This guy's not walking because I'm some super healer and has super hands or because he was a particularly pious or holy person. He then repeats the same message. He keeps going. He repeats the same message from Acts 2. He says that Jesus was the promised king, yet you killed him and God raised him from the dead. Verse 16. And his name, by faith in his name, that's Jesus' name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Peter says the power is not in us. We're not super spiritual healers with holy hands that do crazy stuff. He's saying this man is walking because Jesus healed this man. Now, like we said, the book of Acts, right at the beginning, we said the book of Acts is not going to be the acts of the apostles by themselves. The book of Acts is the acts of Jesus through the apostles by the Spirit. And we see it right here. Here is Jesus healing this man. And and one of the ways we kind of know that is because if you go back into the ministry of Jesus, back to Luke chapter 5, you see Jesus doing the, when he was on earth, doing the exact same miracle, healing a man who could never walk. Peter says this guy here is healed because Jesus the risen king is now alive and he is still doing his work today. You might not know this, but a couple of years ago I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And um, since then I've had dozens and dozens of people praying for my healing. Okay, I have a lady each week who comes up to me, grabs my arm, and, and prays for healing for, for my Parkinson's. And when you have people consistently praying for you, when you have a chronic illness, then you start asking questions about healing and whether it... Lots of questions. First question, does God heal today? Are there prayers just a waste of time because God's just stopped doing that? Now, some suggest that the end of the apostolic kind of era was the kind of end of miraculous signs, including healing. I don't think scripture teaches that. I think scripture still leaves room for healings to happen today. So yes, God can heal today. Second question I ask myself in a sense is, should I or should we expect God to heal me or to heal a person every time we pray? Should we expect that? Now, for me, it depends on what you mean by the word expect. Yes, we know he can heal. And I think, yes, we want to be expectant that he could heal me. And so I think if you look at the posture of the people who came to Jesus to ask for healing in in the Gospels, they came not expecting, like, Jesus, you're going to do it for me. But they came dependent in weakness, saying, God, please, Jesus, please heal me. Jesus, please. And I think that's, we can be expectant that as we come to Jesus, that he could heal us. But at the same time, we never want to presume that he will. We never want to presume that he will. Because, here's the thing, God's purposes can be bigger than me not having Parkinson's. There's moments where I think it couldn't be. There's moments where I think to myself, nah, it'd be such a good idea, God, if I just didn't have Parkinson's because then I could just motor on so much better for you and my ministry would be so enriched and people, you know, people would be impacted. You know. But I've got to allow for the fact that God's purpose is actually bigger than that and he knows in his infinite wisdom that me having Parkinson's is better, for, brings about more glory for him 
and greater good for me than me not having it. Third, does God heal based on the sick person's faith? You might have heard that, the idea that um, if you have enough belief that God will heal you, then you'll get healed. That, that is, I still have Parkinson's right now because I haven't managed to hit the belief threshold to get healed. Let's look at what Scripture says. Verse 16, he says it, because it seems like he's saying it here. The faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Now, you think here Peter's talking about the man's faith, don't you? He's saying his faith has made him well. But here's the thing. You go back into the story. What happens? It says there very clearly, Peter and John directed the man's gaze to them. So this guy wasn't crying out, see Peter and John and saying, hey guys, I believe Jesus can, can, can heal me. Please, this guy has, he's not expressing faith here. This guy's sitting there and asking for money. And so Peter says, hey, you, look at us. Look at us. And so Peter can't be talking about the man's faith here. He must be, well, he's talking about Peter's faith. He's talking about Peter's faith. Peter's talking about his own faith. Now, we don't know how, but as Peter and John walked to the temple that day, there would have been lots of people who were asking for money, and God directed them to that one man, and he directed Peter to pray healing for that man, to declare Jesus' healing for that man. And Jesus healed the man through Peter's faith. Now, was it dependent on Peter's faith? Jesus could have healed him without. He could have healed him directly. But Peter... God chose to, Jesus chose to use Peter's faith to bring about this healing. And so should we pray for healing today? Yes. Do I pray for healing? Yes. Am I blessed by having a lady come and pray for me every week? Yes. But I never want to presume. I never want to think, unless I get healed, then I'm never going to be fulfilled my potential as a minister, as a person, or a father, or a husband. I never want to presume and think, Unless I have enough faith, if I get to the faith threshold, then I'll get healed. No, no, I'm like the Lord Jesus. Where on the, the night before he died, he says, Father, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. But here's the thing. Praying for people, even for healing, as incredible as that is, it's not our main task. It's not the main task of the disciples here. Our primary task, as you see Acts play out, is to tell people about Jesus. Why? Because although physical healing is a blessing, and I would love to be free of my Parkinson's, there is no greater good than enabling another person to have their whole soul restored. To not only be restored to a new body in this life, but restored to a body, new creation body, a new creation. Acts 3, we have a powerful work backed up by a powerful message. And it's Sunday in church, isn't it? It's, it's, we're pumped. The ex Jesus' explosion, the momentum is happening, people getting saved. And then in Acts chapter 4, we hit, we hit Monday, basically. We hit opposition. And so the question is, what's going to happen with this powerful gospel? And what we see is that, that this powerful gospel is unstoppable. It's unstoppable. First, we see the unstoppable message, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, 
That's uh, Peter and John. The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Now you think, all right, the fact that these guys have been taken away to jail would detract from anyone becoming a believer in that moment. But, verse 4, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men who came to, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So we've jumped 2,000. Fear is not stopping people coming to faith in Jesus. And so what we see here is this is an unstoppable message. So the next day, the religious leaders bring them out, ask them where their power to heal comes from. Peter again speaks in verse 10. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which have become the cornerstone. And there is no, sorry, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter's asked, by what authority have you brought healing this man? He says, it's the Jesus you killed. <laughs> Remember last week? It was quite a, quite, a, uh, quite a full-on way of saying it, but the Jesus you killed, the one you tried to stop, God raised to life and declared to be king. And now Peter is saying to them, that Jesus is now alive and his unstoppable power healed the man. And he says, and it doesn't just bring healing, this unstoppable message is, saved, is the way by which everyone must be saved. All right, now I have to allow for the fact that this morning, some of you might not have confessed your, Jesus as your living saviour. You might not have said, Jesus, I want to follow you. And so you might be exploring faith. And so this is the verse I want you to land on this morning. It says this, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is what this is saying to you if you, don't, if you haven't put your trust in Jesus. You cannot save yourself. It doesn't matter how many times you do religious duties. It doesn't matter how many times you give to charity. It doesn't matter how many times you do something nice in the community. You cannot save yourself. The only way you can be saved is through trust in Jesus' death for you. <laughs> and so I need you to land there. I need you to stop and ponder that this morning if you are someone who hasn't put their trust in Jesus. But if you have, then you need to see here that this message of the gospel is unstoppable. Why? Because Jesus is unstoppable. He's the risen King. There is nothing in, on, in heaven and earth that can prevent God from saving people. Now, does that mean God will save every person? No. Does it mean that some will be saved? Yes. Does it mean that as you're speaking to people around the lunch table on Monday at work or chatting to your neighbour or spending time with your family and you talk to them about Jesus, some will be saved? Yes, it does. Some will be saved. And even persecution, opposition, will not stop it. In fact, if you go through the book of Acts, you'll see that it's often during the times of persecution that more people get saved. It kind of propels the message of the gospel. And so the way we need to read the book of Acts is not like these are guys, some super evangelists. 
ancient superheroes of the faith who could speak in such a persuasive way that two or 3,000 people, because they had some, some gift of the gap. Some, I think sometimes we read it like that. No, we need to see these as ordinary men with an unstoppable message about an unstoppable saviour and that he is still saving people. He keeps saving people. See, we sometimes think that the limiting factor in the gospel going forward is us. We think the gospel message, I think sometimes we think the gospel message, the metaphor I've got is like a car where we have to get into the car, we have to turn the ignition, we have to make sure it's going the right direction, we have to do all the right things to make sure the whole gospel message is on track. And if we don't do that, the whole world's... No. The Acts shows us that the gospel is more like a moving train. And Jesus asks us to get on to his moving chain, this unstoppable message that, as we keep reading, comes through unstoppable messengers. So verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognised that they had been with Jesus. So the leaders are really uh, puzzled. They think, these guys aren't religious teachers, they haven't been educated, these common guys, tradies. All they've done is spend time with Jesus and yet they're incredibly bold. Those two things don't go together. And it's really helpful for us because what it's saying is this, there is nothing, nothing that can prevent someone who has met Jesus share the message of Jesus with others. Now, of course, there's some people who have uh, have had more experience in talking to people about Jesus, had more conversations, and, and might be able to say it in, in different ways that might be helpful. Of course, that's the case. But whether you have, can provide the most incredible apologetic argument in the world for Jesus and engage with multiple worldviews and uh, be able to draw, you know, all the methods in the world, and it, whether you have that or whether you know the simplest message of the gospel, you just come to church, you've just become a believer in Jesus, and you know that it's simply about trusting his death to save you. Whether you're this or this, you are both equipped to tell people about Jesus. How much you know about the gospel is not the limiting factor. If you have met Jesus, if you've trusted in Jesus, then you, you're one who can speak about Jesus. Now, the religious leaders, after listening to Peter, they're kind of in a bind. They have to admit the men did a miracle because there's this guy who was lame his whole life and now he's walking. And all the people saw it. And so they say, all right, Peter and John, stop talking about Jesus. Verse 19. And Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Peter says, we've seen the resurrected Jesus. We know he is the king. We know he is the saviour. And so we cannot help but speak. See, what, make these, what makes these messages unstoppable was that they'd seen and heard Jesus. They'd seen and heard Jesus. I think one of the reasons I struggle on Monday to speak about Jesus to people who don't know him is because I'm actually not speaking to Jesus in prayer. I'm not spending time with Jesus in his word. I'm not enjoying relationship with him. But when I'm living an everyday life with Jesus, speaking to him, listening, reading his word, doing relationship with him, then 
my experience of Jesus of one of everyday joy, everyday contentment, everyday purpose means that I cannot help but speak about it. Our world is full of evangelists. It's not just the Christians, okay? If you, inevitably, if you have a conversation with someone and it gets onto the topic of their favourite show, what do they become in that moment? They become an evangelist. <laughs> oh, do you see that Netflix show? It's amazing. Oh, blah, 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 blah. If you've spent anyone with t- any time with a person who's been really successful on a particular diet, you've met an evangelist. They will talk to you till they're blue in the face about their great diet and how it transformed their life. Someone who's found this master investment strategy, they will become an evangelist. Friends, we, we can all be evangelists. It's just a question of what you think is excellent, what you think gives joy, what you think is contentment. And so for the Christian, when you understand that, when, you, when you're living in the experience of Jesus being your joy, your contentment, your purpose, then you cannot help but speak about it. It just spews out. I meet a person with a health issue and I cannot help but say, can I pray for you? I meet a person who is struggling in their work and I cannot help but talk to them about how Jesus helps, helps liberate them from being slaves to their work. Well, I meet a person who has marriage struggles and I cannot testify. I cannot help but testify to the fact that Jesus helps me to be a better husband. I, I meet a person with chronic illness and I cannot help but share with them God's sustaining grace for me in my illness. And so what makes me unstoppable in those moments is not that I have some superhuman ability to be bold or that I have, um, um, or I have a person, particular personality type that enables me to say things I don't really want to say. No, what makes me bold is the conviction that I have through my life with Jesus that the best thing that any person can have is a life with Jesus. Because he's my best thing, I want them to experience the best thing as well. And so Peter and John were unstoppable messages because they could not but help but speak of Jesus. Now at this point, some of you are thinking, okay, okay, you got me ready to go. I might get you there. You might, we're ready to go. The passage has got us there. Let's take on Monday. Let me spew forth the gospel. But others of you are thinking, you know what? I've been here. I've been here. I've been here on a Sunday and heard a great message about Jesus. And I've gone out on Monday and I have failed time after time and I've hit opposition. And I've done this Groundhog Day over and over and again. And so you're still in that place of cynicism. Don't be concerned. The passage hasn't finished. This last section, I think, is crucial for helping us move forward. And that is my fifth kind of point, praying to be unstoppable messengers. Verse 23. When they were released, it's the disciples, uh, Peter and John, sorry, they went to their friends and reported to them what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So they go to their church family, they say, this is the opposition we face. And so their response, the disciples' response to hearing that news is to pray. They pray by reminding each other as they pray who God is, that he is the all-powerful God in charge of all things. They then quote from Psalm 2, which is the Psalm of David written a thousand years before, about a Christ who would be rejected by the world. And so this picture from Psalm 2 is that although the kings of the earth 
kill King Jesus. He is the reigning king. And so as they pray, what are they doing? They're reminding themselves of the unstoppable King Jesus. Then verse 29, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They say to God, God, in the face of persecution, in the face of the ambivalence and the, or the anger that I receive on a Monday, help us to be bold and speak. See, do you, do you ever look at some people and think, oh, yeah, they're, they're the bold Christians? And what you, what you tend to do is you tend to associate it with a pers certain personality type. The more direct person, the person that's willing to say the hard thing, that the person can hack it, have thick skin, and you think, I'm not that person. And because I'm not that person, then I really don't need to speak. Well, I can't. I, God knows I, I, I can't speak about him. This prayer here prevents you thinking that. This prayer here thinks, here are two men, right, who had just gone and spoken in the face of going to jail, had spoken with boldness, and yet they come out of that experience, and what do they do? Well, they don't say, hey, we've got the bold personality type, we can do it. We can do it ourselves. No, no. They say, God, give us boldness. There are some people who, by temperament, are more direct, who have thicker skin, who can say harder things more easily. But you know what? That should never be an excuse for us to not be bold because you know what? Boldness comes here by the work of God's Spirit. And so no one here has an excuse this morning. No one. Because every one of you, you know, every one of you can pray. And every one of you can say to God, God, give me boldness to speak about Jesus. Every one of us can spend time with the unstoppable God and meditate on his unstoppable message. Every one of us can ask God for the capacity to speak to our family and friends about Jesus. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. What happens? Their prayer is answered. The ground shakes, a reminder of Mount Sinai, a reminder of the cross, that kind of a, a, an expression of God's presence. And it says here, the Holy Spirit gives them boldness, gives them boldness. Friends, we worship an unstoppable God. A, a saviour king who is not dead. If we go over to Jerusalem and look through every tomb, we will not find the bones of Jesus. He is not dead. He is alive and he is alive not just back then. He is alive today. He is the risen king. And his message is still as unstoppable as it was back then. And so the challenge for you this morning, firstly, is to pray. It's to pray. If you are feeling powerless to speak with boldness tomorrow morning, then I challenge you to pray. It's not going to cost you anything to praise it. To say, God, give me boldness. Give me opportunities. Show me the people you want me to speak to. 
help me get on that moving train of your gospel going forward and seeing people saved. And at the same time, what you need to do is spend time with Jesus so that you recognize him each and every day as the best thing you have so that, yes, you pray for healing. Yes, you give to the poor and have compassion on people. But more than anything else, you say, brother, friend, you need to meet Jesus. I remember years ago, I was sitting on the couch and having a chat with this lady from our, from our local community who'd had lots of struggles in her life. And as she told me her life story, I remembered in that moment, it doesn't happen all the time, I was compelled to say this. You need to meet Jesus. You need to meet Jesus. Friends, that is what... I know you're loving people. I know lots of you. And I know you care for the peoples in your lives. Don't convince yourself that caring for them means not talking about Jesus. You know, we do that. We think, oh, man, they don't want to hear about it. So I'm being nice to them. I'm loving them. I'm caring for them by not talking to them about Jesus. Friends, that's a lie. Sure, there's... uh, Sometimes you've got to know when to say it and when not to, and you don't want to hammer them all the time with it. I'm not saying do that. But don't trick yourself into believing that never telling them about Jesus is for their good. It's the best thing you can do for any person. Let me pray. Father God, we are weak in this. We're weak in this and we're dependent on you. We're particularly when we hit opposition or any sort of friction, we just back away and think, oh, it's, it's not working. But your message about Jesus, you are unstoppable. You're the unstoppable king. And your work on the cross is unstoppable in saving. And the message about you is a moving train that saves people and is saving people today. And so, Father, give us boldness. Give these people, these individuals here, your Holy Spirit-enabled boldness to speak about Jesus, to see many, many saved. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.